For those of you that might be visiting and looked into the bulletin, I am not Kathy Phillips. <laughs> Kathy actually is not feeling well. She has a terrible cough, apparently. She uh, texted me yesterday and said, I'm not sure I can do the service tomorrow. I said, no problem, I'll write a little homily. And so for those of you that are regulars, you're going to be thankful because it actually is a homily and not a sermon. (laughs) But she texted me again this morning at 6.30 and said, I'm good, I can do it. So I'm in my office thinking, good, I'll work on my computer. 20 minutes later, nope, had a coughing spell, can't do it. (laughs) So I decided I better go over my notes. But I did write a little homily about this, and it's interesting because you have so many scriptures to choose from when you're doing a service like Lessons and Carols, and this being Advent Lessons and Carols. And I looked at uh, Kathy's title, You Brood of Vipers, Who Me, and I really want to hear her do that someday. And so I decided to let that one go. And I'm going to focus on the first reading, the reading from Isaiah. Because I think in many ways, what that reading does in a wonderful way is it does uh, kind of a greeting and an introduction like we would do with one another. And what I mean by that is, what's your name? Who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do? Those are the kinds of questions that when we meet someone else and we want to greet them and get to know them a little bit, those are the kind of questions that we ask. Those are the kind of basic general information that we would share with one another as we're coming to know one another. In fact, particularly on Hilton Head, where you often say, where did you come from? Because very few people here are natives. And so it's kind of fun to hear that background. Well, that's what happens in this reading from Isaiah. And it's not one of the typical ones that we typically think of when we think of Isaiah and the prophecies of Isaiah and the prophecies about a Messiah. Let me give you an example of that. When you hear the scripture out of Isaiah 9, made famous by Handel in his Messiah, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's one we're familiar with. And we heard read another portion of Handel's Messiah from the first servant song of Isaiah in Isaiah 40 this morning. Comfort, comfort, O my people. Wonderful scriptures about the promised Messiah. This one is a little different. We get introduced from this shoot from the son of Jesse, David. That's how we're introduced, the family name, if you will. That's one of the first things we learn of this Messiah in this particular passage from Isaiah 11. And in fact, if you look throughout Scripture, including before Isaiah wrote, that David, King David, was promised that his throne would continue forever. So that prophecy was given a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. And then you have this prophecy in Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And then you have, when the angels sing and introduce the Christ child, the city of David. 
And the reason is, is because they were doing a census, and so all the ancestors were returning to their city of origin, and it was the city of David, Bethlehem. So we have this introduction to Jesus. Right off the bat in this passage from Isaiah chapter 11. But it's not just the name or the family name. It's also aspects of who he is with this name. This name, Jesus. He's coming to be our Savior. He's coming to be our Messiah, the Promised One. And so these various traits that we see listed in Isaiah chapter 11, and in fact sometimes it's been called the sevenfold gift of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We see all these aspects of who he is as he's being introduced. The Spirit of the Lord being upon him. That is obvious from our perspective because he's part of the Trinity. And he's full of the Holy Spirit because he's part of the Trinity. And even when he comes to earth, he's still full of the Holy Spirit. But it's a visual image at his baptism when he begins his public ministry that the Spirit descended upon him as a dove to basically make this connection for everyone who might know this prophecy of the the Messiah. And then you have this trait of wisdom. Wisdom scripturally and practically applied to our lives. And so he's full of wisdom. Why? Because constantly he would say, this is to fulfill the scripture as he's living his life. Constantly he would say, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what my father says. He's constantly pointing to this fulfillment of scripture and living the scripture in his life. So he's full of wisdom and understanding. And he's got knowledge beyond, especially of people and their hearts and their lives, he sees. But then we get to this interesting phrase, the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, the fear of the Lord, as scripture says, is the beginning of wisdom. And so when we first come to this basic truth that Jesus came to be the Savior, that he came to be the Messiah, the Anointed One. And when we take a look at the reality of our lives, the fact that we fall short, the fact that we sin, that we can't fulfill the commandments, especially if you heard my sermon series on the commandments, you know you can't especially apart from the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. That through Jesus Christ, not only do we experience this salvation, that we have this sense of being saved, that we have the Holy Spirit now coming into our lives to empower us to live into this call, this righteousness, this life, His life. That this fear of God knowing that we deserve punishment, that Jesus took on the cross as our Savior, turns to awe. It's a different mindset of fear. uh, We are in awe of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and the depth of his love, 
of his glory and his power. The fear turns to awe. A different kind of fear. Like the apostles at the transfiguration, like the soldiers at the tomb. It's awe at who he is and what he's done. That's who we we are being introduced to here. With those various traits about who he is. And then we come to an interesting part of this. Because in some ways it doesn't sound like the Jesus that we often think about. Look at the next section. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. That doesn't sound like the Jesus that we often think of. Especially since he says at one point, I did not come to judge. So what's going on here? Well, the first thing that I would suggest is that even though Jesus the first time didn't come to judge, people felt the judgment. Here's what I mean by that. When he preached God's word, when he lived the perfect life, when he lived with perfect love and compassion, what happened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the sinful people? They felt the conviction of the Lord. And they reacted in one of two ways. They either repented or they got angry. Because they felt this judgment. Why? Because Jesus was so righteous. He so embodied the person, the presence, the reality of God in his life. Have you ever experienced that? You've been with a group of people or you are with a group of people that you're kind of the goody two-shoes. And they all say, oh, are you better than all of us? Oh, look at him. He's so holy. Did you ever experience that? Come on, you can do this with us. Right? I got that a lot when I was in my teen years. And it's interesting how people can feel judged even though you're not judging them. In fact, we're called not to judge someone's eternal standing with the Lord. We all judge behavior, all of us. And you need to be honest and realistic about that. We may have different standards when we judge. They were judging me. Because I wasn't drinking enough. Because I wasn't smoking their weed. They were judging me. That's what happens. We judge other people, whether we want to or not. But when it comes to someone's eternal standing before the Lord, guess what? There's only one person that fulfills the resume to do that. And it ain't you. And so the reality is, we need to walk with Christ. Walk 
the holy life. And sometimes by who we are and how we live and our character, other people might feel judged and might feel drawn, convicted, and transformed. That's what Jesus, that's why people would fall at his knees. And people would ask for the kingdom of God and people would repent. And people would seek him. That's why blind Bartimaeus would cry out, Son of David, interesting, have mercy on me. It's important to understand. That's the first point about this judgment. The second, what do we say in the creed every week? He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Isaiah, not totally clear on what he's prophesying about because he doesn't have total insight into what he's saying because he's God's instrument of prophecy. That what's layered in this passage is both the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus when he will come to judge the living and the dead. And we escape that judgment because of the promised one, Jesus, whose name means Savior, Christ, the anointed one to fulfill that role to save us from our sin. So the one who will be the judge came to save us from judgment. Do you get the gift of that, the grace of that, the blessing of that? That's what's going on here. And that's why this final section here is a picture of what? The results of who he is and what he did. It's paradise. It is what the world and creation and the earth looked like before the fall. There wasn't all the contention and conflict and destruction and killing. It's the restoration of paradise. Just like Jesus would say to the thief on the cross, today, you will be with me in paradise. That's the point. And that's why Jesus would say, do not fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can kill the body and the soul. That's the beginning of wisdom. Because then we repent. Then we come to Jesus who is our Savior. The Messiah, the Anointed One, to be our Lord. And that's when our lives are transformed and we begin to walk by His grace and love. That's when we seek to live the holy life. And as verse 10 would go on to say, if you read it, He will be a signal, a sign, that this can happen in your life. That's the promise of the prophecy here. That you are being introduced to the person. The full person of Jesus. You're being told why he came. And what will ultimately happen. And you're told that you have the gift and opportunity of paradise restored. Heaven with him. This is the gospel. This 
is what Advent is about as we prepare for his birth, this gift to come, this son of David. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let us pray. As Isaiah says in verse 10, on that day, on that day, pointing to the first coming, that Christmas day, the first one, and pointing to judgment day, on that day. Lord, on this day, help us to see with clarity the prophecy that Isaiah would only understand in part. That Jesus is the one, the son of David, who came to save us. The anointed one who came to transform our lives. To bring his grace, his truth, his love into our hearts. That we might walk as he walked. And then we might rest in the, con- in the confidence of knowing that we will share paradise with him. Lord, for those here, some understand this and some don't. And I pray that on this day, we all would grasp the truth of the promise of Jesus Christ that we will celebrate in just a couple of weeks. That Jesus is the son of David who has come into the world to be our savior, to be our Messiah, to be our Lord. And we pray this in his precious name. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.